Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of An Idiot's Reading of the Bible. My name is Josh, I am the idiot. Today we're going to be taking a look at Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5, four fishermen called his disciples. So it was, as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God, that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. Jesus cleanses a leper. And it happened when he was in a certain city that, behold, a man who was full of leprosy saw Jesus. And he fell on his face and implored him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Then he put out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. Immediately the leprosy left him. And he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as a testimony to them, just as Moses commanded. However, the report went around concerning him all the more, and great multitudes came together to hear and to be healed by him of their infirmities. So he himself often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. Jesus forgives and heals a paralytic. Now it happened on a certain day as he was teaching that there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by who had come out of every town of Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was present to heal them. Then behold, men brought on a bed a man who was paralyzed, whom they sought to bring in and lay before him. And when they could not find how they might bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the housetop and let him down with his bed through the tiling into, their, into the midst before Jesus. When he saw their faith, he said to them, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered and said to them, Why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Rise up and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, Arise. Take up your bed and go to your house. Immediately he rose up before them, took what he had been lying on, and departed to his own house, glorifying God. And they were all amazed, and they glorified God and were filled with fear, saying, We have seen strange things today. Matthew the Tax Collector After these things, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, Follow me. So he left all, rose up, and followed him. 
Then Levi gave him a great feast in his own house, and there were a number of tax collectors and others who sat down with them. And their scribes and the Pharisees complained against his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered and said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus is questioned about fasting. And then they said to him, Why do the disciples of John fast often and make prayers, and likewise those of the Pharisees, but yours eat and drink? And he said to them, Can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them. Then they will fast in those days. Then he spoke a parable to them. No one puts a piece from a new garment on an old one. Otherwise, the new makes a tear, and also the piece that was taken out of the new does not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins, or else the new wine will burst the wineskins and be spilled, and the wineskins will be ruined. But new wine must be put into new wineskins, and both are preserved. And no one, having drunk old wine, immediately desires new, for he says, the old is better. So a couple of pretty recognizable stories in there, um, the Fishers of Men uh, story with Simon um, and those others around him, and a few of Jesus's first works uh, that he's doing in public. Uh, up until now, and even even including these works in, in public, uh, Jesus hasn't really wanted to reveal himself, I guess. Uh, he hasn't been performing uh, a bunch of miracles or, or sort of revealing himself uh, as, as the son of God. And so we see some significant development here in Luke chapter five, where Jesus is now performing uh, miracles out in the open. And so we can see a, a real turn occur here, especially around like verse 12, verse 13, where he clear, where he uh, cleanses the leper and he says uh, to uh, show yourself to the priest and make an offering for the cleansing. Um, but then obviously word, word got out because it's something quite, quite incredible that's happened. Um, then he heals a paralytic and people are watching him. He, he does it in front of them. So he sort of reveals himself to the public as 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 a miracle worker, as uh, the maybe archetypal man following in God's footsteps, and throughout these, he is issuing commands. So, for example, when he heals the paralytic, uh, he says, "Take up your bed and go to your house." He, he doesn't say you're healed. He he commands him uh, to walk. This is paralleled in the story about Jesus calling Matthew the tax collector when he walks by the tax office and tells Matthew to follow me. And immediately uh, Matthew rises up and follows him. Uh, so kind of interesting, just as a more of a meta point to see also how throughout the book of Luke, like I've been mentioning, there seems to be a lot of these parallels set up. We have parallels between... Um, between John and Jesus in terms of their births. But here we're also seeing an interesting parallel between 
Matthew and this paralytic. And so I think what's being implied there, why those stories are given back to back is that the paralytic is obviously sick. I think our, our modern culture would, would say that it, it, he's stricken with an illness, a disability, whatever, you know, sort of modern term we're using for that. But he's, he's, he's sick, generally speaking. And Jesus is able to heal him. And so the reason that there's such a strong parallel with the next verses with Matthew is because Matthew is also sick. He is working for the state. He is collecting taxes. He's profiting off of other people's hard work and he is spiritually sick. Um, also says he gave a, a great feast in his own house. So he must've also had the means to do these things um, as well. So perhaps if we let our minds wander a little bit, we can assume that Levi called Matthew um, may have enjoyed fine things, um, may have lived quite a nice life as a, a, a tax collector, which especially in, in that period of history is a really reprehensible um, reprehensible occupation uh, from from the viewpoint of the Jewish people, maybe not so much from the Romans, but from the Jewish people here is this guy who has sort of betrayed us and he's collecting a percentage of our earnings to give to people who are ruling over us. Um, so not, not a great position to be in. And I, I believe that parallel is set up here in Luke to establish that Matthew is spiritually sick. And so th this might lead us to think about in our own lives when, when and how uh, we're called by Jesus in our, in our own hearts. And I don't really have too much to say on this, I'm not a priest, so I don't feel like I can offer really nuanced spiritual guidance here because I think more more often than not in modern culture, uh, when we think we're being called by Christ in our hearts, we're it's in, unless you're very spiritually close to God, you're you're keeping up on your prayer and fasting. I think it's it's very difficult to discern what is uh, what is sort of an intrinsic cultural motivation versus what is Jesus's heart. Uh, or what is what is Jesus saying um, in in our heart? I think it's hard to part those two things out. I'd like to also briefly talk about fasting. Uh, interesting fact about fasting in the Bible, and this is something I've really noticed uh, coming from a, a Catholic upbringing um, and being mostly involved in that church is the Bible talks about fasting a lot. Jesus talks about fasting a lot. Actually, if you do a word search of the Bible, fasting appears way more times than prayer does. So maybe this is an oversimplification, but to me, that that means that maybe, maybe uh, the people that compiled the Bible over time wanted us to know how potent and how important um, fasting is as a discipline. And so now going, going back to my Catholic upbringing, it, this causes such a disconnect because fasting is it's weak in the Catholic church, or at least the Catholic churches that I've been to the Baptist churches I've been to. Um, no, no priest, no preacher, save one church, uh, that, that I had briefly attended has been, I'm not sure how to say this has has properly stressed the importance of fasting to 
development of a Christian lifestyle in towards a closeness with God. Um, now Jesus sort of absolves his apostles of fasting. Um, he says, uh, can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them in, in verse 34? Uh, but he also says in the next verse, but the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them. Then they will fast in those days. So I think fasting is something we need to pay more attention to. I, I myself am a bit of a novice uh, at fasting. I don't have a ton of experience with it. Um, done some partial day fasting, done a few 24-hour fasts. But I, I think for me, that's something I'd like to incorporate in the next year is doing some kind of a longer-term fast, either three days or, or maybe even a full week. And I think that would that would significantly aid spiritual development. I've noticed when I do a 24-hour fast, usually if I do it from uh, like a sort of late dinner to late dinner, so let's say I stop eating at 8 p.m. on, I've, t- I've typically done them on Sundays throughout Lent. Uh, if I stop eating at 8 p.m. on Saturday evening uh, and I plan to resume eating on 8 p.m. on Sunday evening, I've noticed like around... Uh, 1 or 2 p.m. I start to get a little bit irritable and out of energy. It's like my body has enough, uh, kind of enough emergency reserves to go on until then. And then, you know, once I hit 1 or 2 p.m., I start getting, you know, cranky. Uh, I'm easily pissed off at things. I find myself trying to assemble a bit of furniture, some do some project around the home, and some something very minor goes wrong, but I get really quite angry about it. Um, so fasting definitely brings this out in me. And so why, why is that a good practice? Why would that be something good to do? Um, albeit in moderation, I think is to allow us to confront our own demons. This is really related to the story we recently saw in Luke where Jesus is in the desert for 40 days and, uh, he's tempted by the devil. And so in a way, this is uh, a sort of practice round for us to be tempted by the devil in more of a controlled environment. Uh, when you fast, you're, you're going to get cranky. You're going to get irritable. You're probably not going to be the nicest, uh, most patient version of yourself. And so those demons are going to come out wherever you're sort of weak. You know, for me, that's anger a lot of the time. Um, black and white thinking, maybe depression. And I feel those demons bubble up in me when, when I'm fasted, when I'm in that state. So I, I would urge you, if you don't have much experience with fasting, to try something like a 24-hour fast. You know, it's, re- it's really not that much. Um, for example, there's, uh, I forget how many hundreds of days it is, but humans can go a very, very long time without food. And obviously, you know, you want to check in. With a doctor before you do this, make sure you're in good health, able able to fast, and and so on and so forth. But if you're in good enough health to do that, uh, try incorporating a 24 hour fast, maybe once a week, and see see what that feels like. Maybe you could start off on a day where you don't have work. I typically do it on Sundays since I'll already be going to church on a Sunday, um, and that that kind of sets a nice spiritual tone throughout the day. It gets me reflecting. I've, I've, I've done my best to dedicate Sundays towards not working as well. So I have a little bit of extra time for reflection and, and just doing whatever I, I want to sort of around the house or out and, out and about around town. Um, but I think if you incorporate that, you're, you're going to find some, 
some pretty quick things come up, especially if you're not used to fasting or, or this would be your first time fasting. Um, those, those demons are going to pop up, I think pretty quickly for you. And yours, yours might be different than mine. Um, I think probably everyone's are, but undoubtedly something is going to come up. And so if you, if you do that enough times, that's like, it's like practicing your spiritual resolve. So if you wanted to get better at pull-ups, you wanted to do some more pull-ups, you might take one of those uh, rubber workout bands and tie it around the pull-up bar and then loop it around your knees so you get some assistance while, while doing the pull-ups. And so although this isn't a pull-up, uh, you're able to train a higher number of reps. Maybe you can only do two pull-ups with your body weight, but with that band, uh, you know, maybe you can do 10 pull-ups. And so then you're, you're able to sort of practice things that you're not able to practice with the full body weight or, or things that are going to enhance your training with the full body weight. And so the fasting is sort of like training for when you're, you're faced with the choice to, to commit sin or not, uh, or to speak up if you see some, some injustice being done or to just, just walk, um, walk more clearly on a Christian path in your, in, in your life. Um, and so if you practice fasting, if you start to deal with some of those demons on a, a voluntary basis, that's, I think the other thing it gets you is it's voluntary. You're not thrust into f fasting, uh, randomly it's brought upon by your own choices. And if you choose to opt out of that, you could eat and then you would probably feel better within 15 to 30 minutes. However long it takes your blood sugar to level out, um, after, a a meal. So because it's also voluntary, it's just this nice, uh, really clean way to practice. Um, maybe I'm completely misreading this again. This is an idiot's reading of the Bible, but I do, I, I wish, I wish one, I wish that would have been more clearly put in the Bible, even though it's stressed a lot, maybe, and maybe it is, you know, I'm, I'm only familiar with a very small subset of Bible verses and, and books. Uh, so maybe that will come up in, uh, future reading. But one, one of the areas where I think there is a really big failing is the Catholic Church hasn't been very adamant about the teaching on fasting, nor have a lot of other Christian denominations. It's something that, you know, is in the Catholic Church, especially you should do. And we do it on a few days uh, that are mandatory uh, throughout, throughout Lent. But it's, you know, nobody's really harshing you out over it or, or, or judging you too much. There's not like really a stigma about not fasting. But I really think every every Christian listening to this and, and every non-Christian, you know, even if you only believe in this at a symbolic level, you're going to get a lot out of doing fasting in those smaller chunks. It's going to make you psychologically stronger and it's going to bolster you against committing sin or even living your life in a way that's, that's not up to your standards. If we, if we generalize it that way. So look into fasting, incorporate some fasting. If you're not already doing it, I think that's all I got for today. Thanks so much for listening.